Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Focus Group Podcast. I'm Sarah Longwell, publisher of The Bulwark, and this week we are checking in with yet another group of voters that could decide the 2024 election, Hispanic voters. After Trump spent his term pushing for a border wall and separating children from families, to say nothing of his comments during the 2016 campaign, it seemed inconceivable that Trump would do better with Hispanics in 2020 than he did in 2016. But against all odds, he did do better. If you only count the majority party candidates, Trump got 36% of the Hispanic vote in 2020, up from 29% in 2016, according to Catalyst data. A lot of that was due to the fact that 30% more Hispanics voted in 2020 than 2016, something that is certainly reflected in our focus groups. Behind all these shifts are real voters, and today you're going to hear from some of them. You're also going to hear from some Biden voters who are considering abandoning the Democrats in 2024. My guest today is my friend, Rui Teixeira, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, co-founder and politics editor of The Liberal Patriot, and co-author with John Judas of the forthcoming book, Where Have All the Democrats Gone? The Soul of the Party in the Age of Extremes. Rui, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Sarah. Okay, so your book's coming out November 7th. It's about the Democratic Party's decline in support among working-class voters. You lay out a blueprint for the Democrats to be more of a working-class-friendly party than they are now. So what lessons does history leave for Democrats right here in this moment? Well, right at this moment, I think uh, since our subject of today's uh, discussion is Hispanics, I think that looking at the trends among Hispanic voters and the opinions, the views, the inclinations of Hispanic voters provides an important lesson. As you pointed out, the Democrats lost, you know, roughly 16 margin points among Hispanics between 2016 and 2020, despite all the stuff you mentioned about Trump. That's telling you a lot. And it was bigger, substantially bigger among working class Hispanics than it was among college educated Hispanics. And of course, Hispanics are overwhelmingly working class and if you look at how they're trending now in recent polling, I mean, we, we see those margins. Again, we don't know what's going to happen in the election, but judging from the polling, those margins for the Democrats are coming down even further. We've seen polls where the Democrats are only up like 5, 10, 15 points among Hispanics. And we see that they give Biden an absolutely terrible rating on inflation, on immigration, on the economy, you name it. These are not happy campers, and they don't see the Democratic Party and the administration of Joe Biden as necessarily having done stuff that's in their interests. And then, you know, there's a wide panoply of cultural issues that we talk about a lot in the book that that are really not congenial to a lot of Hispanic voters, especially working class voters. You know, they actually don't believe America is a structurally racist, white supremacist society. They reject that proposition. They are not enthusiastic about uh, some of the activity of the Democrats around transgender issues. They don't think that biological boys should participate in girls' teams. They're actually not that interested in the green transition. They're for wind and solar energy, as everybody else is, but they actually think that there should be a mix going forward of fossil fuels, renewables, nuclear, and so on. So that's just the tip of the iceberg, really, of how a lot of the views of working class Hispanic voters really do depart in important ways from what's at least perceived as the center of gravity of the Democratic Party and some of the things the Biden administration has done and said. So long story short, if the Democrats 
are thinking they can surge back among Hispanics based on Biden having been president for four years. It's a little hard to see that in the data. And in fact, it appears there's a considerable potential for further erosion because Democrats' image is just not anymore of being, as it were, the tribune of the working class of all races and ethnicities. It's become quite different. It's become much more identified with the views of white college educated liberalish people in the coastal enclaves. And it adopts a sort of style of uh, rhetoric and presentation that is foreign to a lot of these voters. And they're just not sure, to put it bluntly, Democrats have their back. And I think we saw a lot of that in those focus groups, Sarah, that we're going to hear from today. The focus groups were extremely fascinating. I learned a lot from them. And I, I think maybe just to say it's an overall observation, I was just really struck by how much these voters sounded like your average two time Trump voters. If I hadn't known that we were screening for an all-Hispanic group, they were pretty indistinguishable. But, you know, one of the key points in your book is that after Barack Obama won re-election in 2012, there was this kind of conventional wisdom that demographics had shifted in the country to such a degree that Democrats were headed for sort of a durable majority. But that hasn't happened in spite of everything about Donald Trump. The Republican Party share of Hispanics has just continued to grow on his watch. And so when we talk to these Hispanic voters who didn't vote for Trump in 2016, but did in 2020. And on this podcast, we often call them reverse flippers. And some of them like didn't even vote in 2016. Some, you know, went third party, some voted for Hillary. But they talked about how they warmed up to Trump, how they learned to love Trump and the Republican Party in general. Let's listen. I couldn't vote in 2016. I would have voted Trump. Actually, everybody that I told didn't believe me like oh he's not gonna win and I said he's gonna win because you're underestimated actually the values that real America has you know there are real Americans that love hearing America that love seeing the flag I mean and I used to when I came on vacation like oh the American flag was such a good thing and and anybody that's been in the citizenship ceremony should agree with me that every American should go it's the most beautiful thing in the world I never thought Trump was gonna win I really thought Bush or whoever, even the uh, governor from Ohio that was running. I liked him a lot, too. I liked everybody but Donald Trump. I never really thought Donald Trump could be any good. And so I didn't vote for him. And I definitely wasn't voting Democrat. And so I just voted for that guy because I wanted to vote. I've been voting since, you know, I was able to. And now I voted for him in 2020 because he kicked ass. And I thought he was the best president and did great for this country. If I would have had the ability to vote, I might have voted for Hillary. I liked her. Thank God I didn't have the ability to vote at that moment. Um, so then in 2020, I did vote for Trump for several reasons. Not that I liked the guy. I don't. I mean, I'm going to be straight up front. I don't. But I dislike even more the Democrat philosophy. So thanks, but no thanks. So I did vote against not only Biden, I voted against Democrat. On the 2016, I voted for Hillary. Yeah, because when Trump went out and said all those bad things about Mexicans, uh, I lived a long time in Mexico. I love Mexico. I love Mexican people. Obviously, everyone loves Mexican food. 
So I was shocked, you know. But in 2020, I voted for Trump because he's a businessman. He knew what he was doing, and he did it very well. I mean, when he was president, he did it great. I mean, I was astonished. I was astonished. I, I didn't think that I would be a pro-Trump, but I was. And right now, I'm seeing all the stuff that is happening right now, not only economic, but they have like an agenda prepared uh, to make all things expensier and all the corruption that you find in the government and the Congress. Oh, man, it makes you feel like vomiting, you know. Okay, so I should note every single person in this reverse flipper group, they plan on voting for Trump again in 2024. They are ready for Trump again. So to what do you attribute, Rui, Trump's major inroads with Hispanics? Because I hear in these comments a real pro-Trump vibe, right? A real like Trump specifically, I, I like him. And I didn't like him before, but now I do. What do you attribute that to? Sometimes when you want to know what people mean, you you listen to what they say, right? So what they said is, hey, Trump is a straight shooter. He made things work. The economy was really good. He stood up to other countries. You know, he was patriotic. I didn't like him to begin with, but now I like him because he's doing what needs to be done. And he's not just a standard issue politician. And by God, we need more of that kind of thing. It's really interesting to think, Sarah, like, okay, we're listening to this. You know, it's hard not to sort of get it a little bit when you listen to these voters. But I think for most Democrats, this is a foreign country. They don't get it. To them, it's just so obvious Trump is awful. And nobody in their right mind with the decent values would vote for him. But that's not the way a lot of working class voters see it, and including working class Hispanics. And until and unless Democrats start to understand that it's actually quite possible for working class voters to like Trump for some reasons that don't have anything to do with them being a stone cold racist reactionary or you know, Neanderthal troglodyte, then I think they're going to struggle with these voters because these voters, not incorrectly, I think, believe that Democrats don't understand them, look down on them, and can't understand where they're coming from. And this is, these are good examples. You know, if you listen to these voters, you can see why they've got the point of view they do. If you want them to vote for you and not for Trump, you got to make a better case. You can't just say Trump bad, orange man bad, orange man fascist, you must vote for Democrats because it's not going to work. Okay, so we definitely had some signs from the groups that the reverse flippers identify more with the GOP, and they consider themselves to have more conservative values. And so they identify this cultural decline, mm -hmm. which they seem to sort of associate with Democrats. Let's listen. Um, and one of the biggest things I've seen is a crisis in morality on the Democrat side. Republicans are not perfect. You know, they got their errors where they fall short, but the Democrat side, um, like some of you were saying, the whole deal with transgenderism, with tolerance, but they won't tolerate who it's not on their side. Things like that, this is a crisis of morality. California, I work in the mortgage industry, so I do loans throughout the U.S., and I just see you know, a difference in where people are buying homes, and there's a good reason for it. That's why I moved to Texas. I was in Florida before, and those are really, really the only two states I've been seeing they're still, you know, holding on to a lot of their Republican values, whereas Washington, Oregon, California are just in crisis mode right now. People don't care about giving customer service. People just, it's not about just minding their own business. It's about not being friendly, not giving. 
you know, any thought about anything, about anything. You know, I'm just going to work, clock in, clock out, bye-bye, and that's it. But I mean, the social morals are bad. You see every city. I mean, I live in Fort Worth, and Fort Worth is beautiful. But you go to Dallas, which is a Democrat city, and it's terrible. It's ugly, it's dirty, it's smelly, it's like going to New York. So you see it. I mean, they have politics that actually don't work for the people. So, Rui, a big complaint in your book is that Democrats have taken this mix of sort of moderate economics and elite liberal cultural norms, like that's what they've kind of put together, but you would prefer more cultural moderation and liberal economics for the sake of winning elections. But there are also a lot of voters Democrats can't afford to lose in 2024 who do want the more fiscally conservative, socially liberal mix. And sort of how do you balance that within the coalition? Well, that's a good question. I actually think the the numbers of people these days who are fiscally conservative and socially liberal is not that large. Um, there's actually much more higher correlation now between social liberalism and economic liberalism that most of, for example, the white college educated liberals who are now the, you know, increasingly a base of the Democratic Party, a burgeoning group who in many ways sets the tone for the party. These are people who are pretty liberal in economics too. It's just they're super liberal on social issues. And, you know, as a number of studies have established, a lot of these voters in some ways give priority or salience to their social liberalism. And they're willing to punish Democrats by voting for other more liberal Democrats in primaries and so on who don't adhere to these things. And they're certainly willing to go after them on social media and what have you. So my view is that, yeah, I mean, if the Democrats move to the center on cultural issues, discarded some of these outre, super liberal social approaches, uh, and more sounded like they had a normie voter approach to this, they might annoy a lot of these college-educated liberals, but I actually don't believe that these college-educated liberals are going to go vote for Donald Trump. There may be some attrition in terms of not voting or voting for a third-party candidate, but I think it would, my view at least, it'd be more than made up by doing much better among working-class voters, because that is where the bulk of the voters are. That's where the Democrats have been losing voters. That's how Trump is going to win if he does win. It just seems to me the road is clear to taking a different approach to the balance of issues in the Democratic Party and how those issues are presented. I mean, cultural moderation is extremely popular. <laughs> Most white college graduates are, are moderates, right? I mean, there's a big contingent that's liberal and they vote like at Soviet levels for the Democrats, but that's not where the action is. And that's not where the voters are likely to move are. And it's certainly true among non-white voters. Right. Non-white voters, especially working class voters, are overwhelmingly moderate to conservative. And I think they would welcome the Democratic Party moving away from some of its positions on crime and immigration, on race and gender, on schools and what have you. That They just want normal conduct in America. They want ideology out of the schools. They want crime stopped. They want the border controlled. They want things to be in order. I mean, in a way, you look back at how Biden ran in 2020. It was like, I'm going to restore normality to America. I'm going to get the economy moving and we're going to be normal. You know, everything's going to get back to normal. The problem for the Democrats to a non-trivial extent at this point is that people look at the country, you know, under the Democratic administration and it doesn't seem normal. There was too much inflation. There's too much crime. There's too much disorder in the cities. The border is clearly out of control. The culture wars around race and gender are raging and nobody seems to want to compromise, including the Democrats. And 
people are sick of it. And I think this redounds to the benefit, uh, not of the Democrats, but of the other side who can run against the incumbent administration in a way that puts them in a great deal of danger, despite you know, the fact that a lot of people really hate Trump. And in fact, if the Republicans ran like Nikki Haley, uh, she might clean up. But if they're going to run Trump, you know, he's maybe not their best candidate, but boy, he can take advantage of a lot of this discontent. People who listen to me a lot know that I I take your premise to a degree. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that Democrats need to do much more to moderate in order to attract sort of the big, broad pro-democracy coalition. They can stave off this dangerous version of the Republican Party. And people sometimes will be like, of course you think that. You're a Republican. So, like, you want the Democrats to be more moderate. And I'll just say, like, in this particular moment, what I want is for Democrats to deliver sustained electoral defeat to Republicans so that it has an incentive to change from its current course. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot about this, about this question of how do you attract more voters and not lose voters? When I was listening to these voters, I was struck by, like I said, how they sound like regular Republicans because they were mad about the economy. They for sure were. And mm-hmm. they talked about sort of their cultural values, which were somewhat more conservative. <sighs> these voters sort of seem to have the same type of like right-wing grievance that's not always steeped entirely in reality. Like – the culture wars that you just referenced, like mm-hmm. Ron DeSantis is driving a lot of the culture wars. Like Republicans are stoking the culture wars in such a way. Like Joe Biden has never said that he thinks biological males should play women's sports. And he has never said defund the police. He has been good on Israel. And so like, I guess it was clear to me listening to this group that they ingest a lot of right wing media. They gave Biden no credit. They said the economy is absolutely awful. And obviously, I hear this from all manner of voters that, you know, inflation is tough. But like, Joe Biden is sort of culturally moderate and doesn't seem to be winning over these voters. And so I guess I'm wondering how much of it is truly an alienation from the mainstream Democrats and how much it is that like, these are actually right-wing voters who have moved into a right-wing media ecosystem and that's just the world they're living in now. Well, I mean, I'm always very cautious about trying to attribute people's views to simply, you know, they're manipulated by whatever media that they absorb. I mean, one could make the same argument about liberal views on those social issues or issues in general. I mean, people tend to ingest media that they feel is sympathetic to their point of view. And those media are typically not completely unbiased. So if your view of the culture wars is fundamentally that the conservatives are prosecuting it, and the liberals have all the correct positions, you can just listen to coverage all day long that will reinforce that because liberal media will take the craziest views of people on the right and amplify them and basically make it sound like the liberal position on X is obviously the correct, tolerant, and humane one. But that might not be true either. I mean, to my mind, Sarah, I mean, one has to be careful about falling into what we call the Fox News fallacy, where if Fox News is raising an issue about what's going on in the schools or what's going on with crime in the cities or what's going on with immigration at the border. This is a meretricious, deceptive meme that's being injected into the body politic by the conservative media. And it just has no real purchase on reality. People aren't really upset about stuff that's going on in the real world. They're being made to be upset by the conservative media. And we reject that proposition. I think there's a real problems that are going on that real people see and real people are worried about. I mean, Just take the issue of transgenderism, which, of course, is a real hot button issue. The problem isn't that 
Biden comes out and says, I think that biological boys who say they're girls are the same as girls. It's just that the slant and practice of his administration of the Democrats who make up his party are like pretty much 100% on board with the so-called gender-affirming care approach, right? I mean, this is just true down the line. You'll go to his, his assistant surgeon general who said that the whole gender medicine thing is all settled science. Nobody should object to this. Democrats in states all over the country have basically and really literally laid down the law on this. And who is associated with the view that essentially gender is self-declared and that anybody who says a man who says they're a woman, they're exactly the same, they're treated the same, there should be no uh, biologically sex segregated spaces, gender affirming medical care should be available pretty much almost on demand to children. I mean, people are really concerned about these issues. And we can argue about what the correct, moderate approach might be to these issues. But it's not just being made up by Fox News. People are upset about this. And Democrats are inevitably and rightly associated with one wing of that debate. It doesn't matter that Biden doesn't give an address every week about how he believes in gender affirming care. His party is inevitably associated with it. The same thing is true of issues around crime, around bail reform, around you know the sort of harm reduction approach in cities, which results in people openly taking drugs in the middle of city streets. You have mentally ill people on the street. It doesn't matter that Biden says he's for controlling the border when New York is getting 600 additional migrants a day and they're freaking out because they can't take care of these people. I mean, we saw that in some of those Hispanic focus groups, people who lived in and around New York complaining yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> about the migrant situation being out of control. So I just think, Sarah, we have to be very careful about ascribing these views to simply being manipulated by the conservative media. Okay, so I'm going to get to the Fox News fallacy specifically. We can pick this part back up. But to get back to your point, which I think I agree with broadly, although I think sometimes I would disagree with like the level of emphasis. Fair enough. But let's talk about the term Latinx, mm -hmm. because this is one that's like a personal annoying one for me. And that's a term that's definitely a symptom of the elite cultural norms that you're discussing here, and one in which the voters in our groups were kind of perplexed by. Uh, so let's listen to how they thought about Latinx and how they think too much tokenization is creeping in around these identity politics. I don't know what it means. Me either. Same. <laughs> I saw that on a thing that I was filling out. I was like, what is in Latinx? I mean, the Democrat Party, all that is divide and conquer, divide and conquer by whoever, women, with men, with trans, with gays, with uh, black, with Latinos. I mean, they tried to apply it to Latinos with the Latinx stuff. And we were like, you're not Latinx, we're Latinos. I mean, don't put me any other name or any other box because it's not going to work with us. Why don't you say Hispanic? It doesn't have an O or an A. Yeah, it's stupid. It's stupid. Uh, well, no, not stupid, stupid. stupido. It's stupid. I just feel that they're targeting, just like they targeted Blacks, you know, because even in schools, I mean, you, you kind of have to know Spanish now for the younger people, because there's a lot of Hispanics in the United States now. We're almost approaching, I'd say, 40, 60 percent population. I just feel that they're targeting and they use Hispanics as a ploy in the Democratic Party. When we were doing this group, we asked them how they felt about being a sort of sought after demographic in politics. And we... We actually heard concerns about too much homogenization. One Democratic voter said they were from South America, others were from Mexico, but they said they see us all as brown, meaning that a wide range of cultures from different countries are lumped together into being Hispanic. And the progressive theory of the case 
does seem to be that you can win these voters over basically by playing to identity politics. So how can groups that want to win these kinds of voters back speak broadly to Hispanics without falling into this trap, or can they not? Well, what would be wrong with uh, taking a universalistic, colorblind approach to social policy? What would be wrong with what the Democratic Party has traditionally stood for, which is anti-discrimination, tolerance, and uplift for working and middle-class people of all races? What would be wrong with that? Why is there a necessity to promote and in any way endorse identity politics? This makes no sense to me. We can see from the way Hispanics react to this, this is not how they think of themselves. I mean, I've written in various places, I think the Democrats made a huge mistake lumping in Hispanics with so-called people of color and assuming that like all people of color, they feel oppressed by being non-whites in a white supremacist society and they're victims of structural racism. And really that's what they care about. They care about the fact that they're oppressed as non-whites. That's not what they care about. Hispanics are a hardworking, upwardly mobile, patriotic constituency who cares mostly about their kids, their community, having a decent job, getting health care. I mean, this is what they care about. They don't get up in the morning and think, oh, my God, I live in this dystopian hellhole called the United States where I'm the victim of structural racism. That's not remotely close to how they think about the world. And I think, you know, it's time to go back to the future. Democrats have had their greatest success when they were viewed as and were the party of the people, of the common man and woman in America, without fracturing people into identity groups. You know, at times it's been hard to do this, right? Ball has been dropped in many ways. America has both a good and a bad aspects to its history. But that is no excuse for giving up on universalistic norms of uplift, of anti-discrimination. Of, we're all Americans. Albert Murray and Ralph Ellison you know, promulgated this term a long time ago called omni-Americans. We're all Americans. We're, we're a mix of all kinds of different cultural and other influences. And that's great. But we're all part of one country. You know, we're all in this together, as it were. And we should basically emphasize what we have in common, not what we don't. Again, historically, that was a Democratic Party brand and the brand that's associated with greatest success. And I think it's been a tragedy that Democrats have discarded this potent weapon and this potential unifying force. So in the book, your book, one problem you lay out for Democrats losing working class voters is that they're resistant to policies that will reduce illegal immigration and are supportive of bringing a lot of what you call unskilled workers into the country. Mm -hmm. Our reverse flipper group had some strong feelings on immigration policy and who should be coming into the country and when. Let's listen. I had a friend that he lives in Japan. I remember that he told me something that really made my mind like start thinking in a different way. And he told me like in Japan, if you want to go to Japan and stay there, you have to do it in the right way. I mean, you have to go there, ask for a permit, learn the language and everything, because that's the respectful way to do it. I'm originally from Venezuela, too. And I've seen socialism taking over. I saw it taking over Venezuela. I saw it happening in Colombia. I saw it happening in Chile and Brazil. America was the last freedom standing in the world. It was the country everybody wanted to go. I'm pissed even with the quantity of Venezuelans that are coming through the border and the quality of the Venezuelans that are coming on the border. Even me being Venezuela, I'm, I'm not afraid of saying it. It's wrong. The quality of people is terrible because it's the people raised by this communism party. I don't know if you've seen a lot of immigration people come there yet, the immigrants, but we are seeing a lot of panhandlers now who cannot speak English 
Now, I think on a, an American-based citizen part, they're throwing things at them. I don't think that's right. Um, I think we need Trump back. I think he had us going the right way, even though he was kind of blunt. And I never thought I would vote for him, but I did. So, like I said at the top, Trump's immigration talk in 2016 was thought to be poisoning the well uh, for the GOP with Hispanic voters. What is the conventional wisdom missing about some Hispanics' views on immigration? Because I got to tell you, these Hispanics groups, this was the thing that blew me the way the most. They were anti-immigration. They sound a lot like other Republican voters where they talk about coming the right way. Mm-hmm. But they have a lot of negative feelings about too many people coming into the country. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, this is related to the Democrats' mistake about, well, let's just all think of those people of color, this undifferentiated blob and all Hispanics. They assumed they're immigration voters, right? I mean, this was sort of part of the mantra after 2012 was that, you know, we did so well among Hispanics. They're part of the burgeoning American majority. And they're on our side because, uh, you know, we're on the side of immigrants. Therefore, Democrats should stand for the maximally tolerant approach to immigration. And uh, we don't want to say anything that might imply we're going to harden people who are trying to come into the country or illegal immigrants of any kind. And we saw that in 2016 and onward, where the Democrats start really talking about border security. They started referring to Obama as a deporter in chief. And the, the theory of all this was that because Hispanics are, you know, from an immigrant background, it depends on the generation how far back, but, you know, They live in communities with a lot of immigrants. They were immigrants themselves at one point, perhaps. I mean, because of that, they will vote on the basis of immigration. The immigration policy they want is a lax, open, tolerant approach. It's just not the case. I mean, these are Hispanic citizens we're talking to who can vote. They've gone through the mill. They've been here for a while and who knows how long, but their families may go back a while. But their view on America is America is a land of opportunity where people should come here and take advantage of it work hard, do it the right way. And the idea that you should be able to stroll across the border, declare asylum, and then be bused somewhere else and uh, receive social services and the like, and maybe even have access to a job, it's just, it doesn't compute for them. That's not the way they feel they live their life. That's not what they feel America's about. And so it's just been a colossal mistake to think if Democrats want to continue receiving the majorities they do among Hispanics and build those majorities, they must continue to have a very lax, open immigration policy. And they don't want to say much about border security because, you know, as the famous yard sign says, no human being is illegal, right? So, I mean, this is a kind of, frankly, baloney that has, you know, become quite popular in democratic activist circles, including a lot of the advocacy groups that purport to speak on you know, in the name of Hispanics. But I think when you drill down to what actual, you know, existing voters think who are Hispanic, they do not have those points of view. They do not think the border should be relatively uncontrolled. They do think people should come in the right way. They aren't for a lot more illegal immigration. Now they may be for people being treated humanely at the border, you know, when they're encountered. That's fine. They may believe that there's a need for something to be done for the illegal immigrants already in the country. There needs to be, say, some sort of path to citizenship or some sort of reform that would move us in that direction. That could all be true. But that doesn't mean they don't want border security and a crackdown on people who are basically gaming the system and coming into the country and doing it the wrong way. Like, this is just a, the standard point of view that a lot of these voters have. And I think Democrats ignore to their peril. 
Yeah, so it's so standard that actually I want to give you a quick taste of another group we talked to for this show. So these are Hispanic voters who voted for Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden, but who are undecided about 2024. And they brought up immigration policy a lot as one of the reasons why they were undecided. Let's listen. To me, this is mainly the result of like COVID and all the inequalities that it brought up to the surface that were already there, but now they're just more prevalent. I don't think this is Biden. Yeah, I don't think he's handled it correctly, but this would have happened with any other president. This is years in the making. The fact that they haven't had some type of immigration reform in like decades, is just ridiculous. But at the same time, open borders just doesn't work anymore. I mean, I am an immigrant myself and so is my entire family. So for me to say this, it actually pains me, but they need to draw the line at some point. This cannot continue to happen. I think Mexico is just taking advantage of this policy that they're just sending derelicts over. And, you know, in the 80s, when I, like I said, I immigrated my cousin and I had to put up $5,000. Back then it was a lot of money. But his stipulations was that he was going to be a businessman. He was going to be an asset to us. The only reason I would ever entertain the idea of voting for Trump it's because during the Trump administration for border crossing, there were maybe around like 30 people coming a month. Now the number is well within the thousands coming a month. And that's not fair for those who are trying to immigrate to this country, following the laws of applying. So I, I got to say, it is striking to listen to recent immigrants. Mm -hmm. Several of them talked about not being able to vote in 2016 because they hadn't gotten their citizenship yet. It is just wild to me to hear so many people talk about like, well, we needed the border wall and Mexicans are, you know, not sending their best. And I understand sort of saying, boy, as somebody who went through the immigration process myself, like it's pretty messed up and let's talk about it. But what they're specifically saying is they do not like the Democrats' policy of, like, letting more people in or, like, what they perceive to be open borders, which Joe Biden does not have an open borders policy. But I, I promise we're going to get into some of the, the Fox News stuff. But, like, I was blown away by these statements and who they were coming from. Like, for somebody being like, I'm Venezuelan, don't let any more Venezuelans in. Like, what do you make of this? Well, I think one way to think about it is to cast our minds back to debates about immigration policy in the past, in like the 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, most people today don't realize it, don't remember, and would never have experienced it, but the traditional Democratic Party position on immigration was actually pretty tough. That immigration was perceived, if it's uncontrolled, as putting downward pressure on wages, as putting pressure on social services, and it was not at all in the interests of the working class to have lax immigration policy. That if people come into the country illegally and they're working, there should be an E-Verify system. The Jordan Commission was all over this, right? I mean, it's not that long ago that the Democrats' policy started departing from you know, the idea borders have to be strictly controlled. We have to really contain illegal immigration. If there's illegal immigration, we should try to do something about it in terms of the people in the country who have jobs who are here illegally. I mean, there was a whole, you know, effort to to regularize the immigration system, to bring it under control, but it kind of basically got blown up in the 2000s. 
um, and the Democratic Party itself changed its position where it was no longer so concerned with stopping illegal immigration. It was concerned with, you know, sort of what do we do with the people already here? We need a big reform on that. This was not the labor position and not the Democratic position until relatively recently. And look, we don't (laughs) just go back to the Obama administration. They had a much tougher position on immigration than Democrats do today. There's just no question that the Biden policies and approach clearly was more laxer than the Trump approach. It clearly sent a signal to people who wanted to come here and tons of people want to come here. Basically, the the administration tried to present it as we're going to be more humanitarian, we're going to be nicer. But the way the signal was read across Latin America and Central America and a lot of other places was if you come, it will be easier to get in. And that turned out to be true. So this is not to the liking of most Americans at this point, including a lot of Hispanics, including especially working class Hispanics who don't see it in their interest to have what seems to be a quasi, at least, open border. And I think Democrats just need to accept that, that people really do want border security. There is a very small constituency in this country for quasi-open borders, for basically the policy they currently have. And that's why Biden has a 23% rating on handling border security. The, The real constituency for let them all come is basically white college educated liberal Democrats. That's a constituency. It isn't Hispanics at this point. It's the people who are most liberal in the Democratic Party who have essentially adopted a dogma that borders should essentially be as open as possible and we should make it as easy as possible to immigrate here. And if they're here, we have to take care of them and so on. Whereas, of course, no country in the world you know, has uncontrolled borders. No country in the world thinks it's okay for people to come you know, if they want and just hang out and then get services and so on. So, I mean, again, back to being a spokesman for the ordinary American. What the Democrats are doing in immigration isn't that. And we see that, in, again, in these focus groups of people who, you know, some of whom are obviously very sympathetic to the Democrats who just, who just don't buy it and who are Hispanic, supposed to be the, the burgeoning constituency for the Democratic Party moving forward. So I think Democrats, I made this argument and I'll make it time and again and I'll make it time and again in the future. They need to really cut bait with a lot of the people who push a lot of these positions on these issues, like immigration. They're not popular, not substantively workable, and are a drag on their political prospects, uh, including what we're talking about here, about us with Hispanic voters. Easy to say, harder to do, I realize. Look, we could do a whole hour or day or lots and lots of time on immigration. I I do feel strongly... As somebody who is pro-immigration for the United States of America, I think that immigration has been, it's like the thing that we do here. It's how we've built this country, aside from early on when people were brought here against their will. I like, I am proud of the fact that lots of people want to come here. I've always taken that as a positive. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need a system that allows people to come here where it doesn't take 15 years to become an American citizen and we know who's in the country and we do have borders. And it feels like this is one of those issues that both sides have just become committed to not solving and like kicking the can down the road and nobody wants to actually do the work. But I know you and I have been in a lot of rooms together where I I make this case as well, that Democrats do not realize how vulnerable they are in immigration. And I think it's one of the things that people don't realize that this was what 
made Trump that just accelerated him to the top. The wall was just sort of like a metaphor for taking immigration seriously and making it a central part of the campaign. And that is what people were attracted to. And like the thing about saying like immigration stuff broadly is that there is a nativist cohort. There is a cohort that that has like racial reasons for not liking it. Mm-hmm. But then there's also sort of a broad normie middle that is just like, well, obviously we should have borders and obviously we should know who's in the country and mm-hmm. you can't just let people pour across the border. And that is true of Hispanic voters. And I do think this is something Democrats are going to have to grapple with. I don't think they realize the electoral price that it is costing them to seem derelict on the border. Finally, on this Fox News fallacy, specifically mm-hmm. in relation to the Democratic Hispanics, these guys are not watching Fox News. Like the reverse flippers who are voting for Trump, I think these guys are watching a lot of Fox News mm-hmm. uh, or listening to a fair amount of right-wing media. I think a lot of like right-wing talk radio is like going on in places like Miami and other places with like big, large Hispanic populations. That said, like the Hispanic Dems aren't, that's not, I think, what they're immersed in. And they still had a lot of concerns about the border. I think you've kind of already articulated your Fox News mm-hmm. fallacy, but I do agree that I listen to Dems often just reach for Fox News as an explanation for everything. And like only a few million people are watching Fox News. You really can't blame everything on it. And it does, I think, discount the lived experience of a lot of people who are frustrated about things that like Democrats don't really want them to be frustrated about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, the most parsimonious explanation for why typically people might view X is that this is how they interpret their own experience, the things they've heard, you know, what's going on in their community or the city that's near them or the state. People are complex and they have complex ways of processing information. Some rely on Fox News. Most people don't. But people's opinions, by and large, on big issues like this are driven by the realities of the world around them and how they choose to interpret it. Now, loyal Democrats, partisan Democrats, prototypical white college-educated liberal Democrat will look at the same data, as it were, and have a very different conclusion. But these other voters, they may look at what's going on at the border and they say, Basically, people have been pouring across the border. It's just a fact. People have been pouring into all kinds of different areas of the country and are causing social disorder, and nobody knows what to do with them. And people look at that and say, what the hell? This is a real problem. So they don't need Fox News to tell them that, even though Fox News may cover it. And you know, one might add at this point that just like it's the case that Fox News may not cover some things that make Republicans look really bad but it will be covered on MSNBC. And therefore, you know, if you want information about X, you might want to look at MSNBC. The same thing is true of Fox News. Fox News will cover things that, you know, a lot of the sort of center-left media will not. And therefore, you know, again, this is providing people with data. It's not all bias. (laughs) It's not all bias all the way down on either side. There's always glimmers of truth, facts that are being reported, things that are being put into the complex machine that is the views of ordinary people on on big issues. I think it's just really lazy for a lot of Democrats to, of course, it makes them feel good, right? I mean, why do people believe this crazy stuff? Why don't they like us Democrats? It's Fox News. They're just being lied to. It's disinformation. They're being manipulated. Otherwise, they would see how great we are. 
So I think this is just stupid, really. And it shows a real misunderstanding of people and how they make up their minds about things and a certain contempt almost. Yeah. I mean, Fox News is full of garbage and poison. The extent to which just take the election. And to be clear, a bunch of the sort of reverse flippers, the 2020 Trump voters, they all thought the election was stolen. That's a lie. It's a lie that Fox News perpetrates. Yeah, no, that's trash. I'm just saying everything on Fox News isn't made up. Uh, some things are, some things aren't, right? So it's like any other news source. I mean, Fox News is particularly egregious on some aspects, but it's just not the case that everything on Fox News is a completely made up meretricious story about some awful thing the Democrats never really did. Just like it's true on MSNBC, that not everything on MSNBC that sounds terrible for the Republicans is made up, though occasionally it might be, right? So I'm not here to defend Fox News as a great news source that we should all listen to religiously and believe everything it said. All I'm saying is that, you know, Fox News, like a lot of conservative media, cover some things that the left media will not. And there's there's truth content in there at times that is digested by the people who watch it and then is disseminated out. So I really, I just refuse to take the position that nothing on Fox News is true and everything that's on MSNBC is. I just don't think that's the way the world works. And again, I think it shortchanges the complicated way in which people digest information and make up their minds about things. I don't think you have to create parity mm -hmm. between Fox News and MSNBC to sort of acknowledge that the media that people are immersed in, their media silos make a big difference. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I want to make sure people get out of this, because it's something that I got out of listening to these focus groups, mm -hmm. is how much these Hispanic voters mm -hmm. sound to me now. They sounded like a regular Trump voting group. Uh-huh. And the extent to which they are imbibing right-wing media, if not Fox News, like Fox News is just one thing. I think that sure, part absolutely. of the issue with Fox News is that people reach for it all the time when actually there's just a whole network of talkers out there, many of yeah, them Hispanic. But like they're Spanish right-wing talk radio now. Mm -hmm, and sure. that is clearly in here. And I, I want to get to this, this last segment because this is the part that actively made me angry, and I want to know what you think about it. Okay. So this group of reverse flippers, which to me was just a really wild group. So we heard a couple of people, and they were talking about how terrible things were in America. There was a lot of, like, it's so bad here. And they were saying it was so bad. They were considering leaving the United States, oh, yeah, a country that. that many of them chose to immigrate to. Let's listen. And I think we're a joke with other countries. And I don't know what's going on, but I have a bad feeling. I think we have been infiltrated through the southern border, not with just good people, but I think they have planted cells in this country, and I don't know what's going to happen, but it's scary. Scary times now. Um, I think a lot of people are leaving the country because of that. I have friends moved to Spain and loving it there, Italy. I got family in Colombia, so now even Colombia is starting to look better, even though they have a bad government down there, too. So, My wife and I already have our minds made up. I mean, it's not going to be right now, but we know that our retirement is not going to be in this country. It's going to be either in Spain or in Italy. Sadly, it's not going to be in Venezuela, which we would love, but it's not. But it will be in Spain or Italy for sure, not here. 
because the way things are going, no thanks. Okay. And it was the kind of the whole group, just super dark view of the United States. And that is Trump's view. Mm-hmm. So Trump has a super dark view of the United States. This is a bad place. And I got to tell you, my conservatism literally springs as a young person from the idea that America is a good place. And I didn't like hearing Democrats talk about it like we were always the bad guys because I thought America as an idea, the American idea was awesome. And I thought it was awesome that immigrants wanted to come here and my mom came over here. You know, I just, she had an immigrant zeal for the United. There was like Americana all over our house at the signing of the Declaration of Independence and stuff. And so it felt striking to me to listen to people who had immigrated to the United States talk about it not being a great place anymore and like they wanted to leave. Is this common? Is this a thing that is out there now? Well, sure. I mean, we know it is from listening to these voters. We know that, as you say, I mean, Trump is a very dark view of America. There's a very dark view of America uh, among a lot of Republicans, particularly the sort of hardcore uh, Trumpists who feel like we're just one step away from, you know, the communists taking over the Democrats are I mean, never going to leave though. office. That's well, silly. Yeah, no, it's silly, but there it is. People believe all kinds of crazy Trump's stuff. Trump's the one who wouldn't leave office. Uh, yeah, okay, fine. I mean, I, I, people have a right to their views, as crazy as they may be. And maybe the Democrats should think twice about promulgating the view that we're, this is like the Weimar Republic 1932, and we're on the verge of a total fascist takeover by the MAGAites. I mean, basically, they're arguing in a very dark place, too, right? I mean, their view is like we're one micro step away from fascism. Maybe a better approach to dealing with the anti-democratic impulses of people in and around the Republican Party is by promulgating, as you say, a more positive view of America about how it's a great place to be. Its best days are ahead of it. The system's quite resilient. We beat back the challenges in 2020. We'll beat them back again. And in fact, you know, let's actually return to a kind of America where everybody's proud to be an American and everybody pulls together and we're not divided and microdiced into a thousand different slices. I think that's a more attractive view than saying, on the one hand, you know, the Trumpists are saying we're one step away from a democratic dystopia and Democrats say we're one step away from a fascist dystopia run by Trump and his kids or something. So maybe, just maybe, there's an opening here for taking a more optimistic you know, view of America and its resilience and its potential and not basically just getting down in the mud with the Trumpist Republicans and saying, yeah, yeah, you think we're in this dark place. Well, you're right. We're in a dark place. It's just you're the ones causing the dark place. You're the ones that are taking us one step away from fascism. Look, I mean, <laughs> Joe Biden went down to Georgia after the relatively anodyne voting reform law was passed, which didn't turn out that had a zero effect on voting in Georgia. We went down there and said, this is Jim Crow 2.0. This is like Bull Connor on the, on the bridge in Alabama. I mean, this is just silly stuff. Maybe it's time for everybody to damp down the rhetoric, right? And sort of emphasize, you know, what we have in common and the resilience of the system and not basically be so concerned with calling out the other side as being the agents of the coming dystopia. So end of rant. But I think that would be closer to what most Americans want to hear than what I hear coming from either party. I remember those comments from Joe Biden. I was really disappointed in them at the time. I would say on the whole, Joe Biden does present more of an optimistic view of America. I think he tries to. Well, you brought up the Biden thing before, Sarah. And I think that 
there's no question that Biden, <laughs> in his heart and probably his instincts, is a pretty culture the moderate guy in some ways. And he is sort of an optimistic old school Democrat, but he can't separate himself from his party. That's the problem. Biden is not the party. It's more like the party is Biden, I think, at this point. And I think that unless Biden clearly, and I've made this argument, clearly took some steps to signal a decisive break with the loonies in his own party and the cultural radicals and the people who do and say stupid things, it just is not going to make that much impression on the median voter that he's, you know, the Democratic Party is that much different. As I've said it in a few things, I mean, he's a designated normie of the Democratic Party. Yeah, and he won. This is the thing. I just, like, sitting outside watching almost 200 Republicans vote for Jim Jordan for Speaker of the House. Right. Donald uh, Trump is up by, like, a gajillion points over everybody else. And the only other people in spitting distance are carbon copy imitations of Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Normie old guy won the Democratic nomination. And you can say he's captured by the far left. But like, I don't know. I haven't seen him try to pack the courts. I haven't seen him try to. Well, I think he's captured by the party as a whole, not by the far left. I just think the left has a lot of sway over the party at this point that is not good. Yeah, I mean, I share many of your critiques of sort of the far left. I just I think I feel like they're overstated because I, I do think that Joe Biden has, like, he was a real compromise consensus candidate. I think he embodies the thing that you say you want, which is a kind of cultural moderation and economic liberalism. He is much to the center of just about every other Democrat who ran for president, and that's who the Democratic Party chose. So I just see the Democratic Party broadly making better choices than I see the Republican Party making. That being said... Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that I think it is deeply important that Democrats understand how to win. I think it is deeply important that they understand that to attract back working class voters, like Joe Biden narrowly won in 2020 in large part because he was able to lose less badly with uh, some of these yep. working class mm -hmm. voters. And he's struggling with mm -hmm. them. He's struggling with working class voters of color and Hispanics and they're going to have to figure out what to do about that in the next year if we're going to keep Trump from holding office. So I appreciate your perspective, and I'm glad you shared it so candidly. I think there's going to be a fair number of people here who don't like it, but it's backed up to some degree by what we just heard from these voters. And even I was caught off guard a little bit. I do a lot of Hispanic groups, but I hadn't recently done one of these reverse flipper Hispanic groups. And when I was listening to it, I went, wow, that is something. We can think it's not good that this is what people are saying. We can try to identify the reason that they're saying it. It doesn't change the fact that it's what they think. And so, like, the question is, is even if we're sure they're wrong about these things, like, Democrats have got to find a way to appeal to these voters, and, and how do they do that? Rui Teixeira, thank you for being here. Thank you for the great discussion. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And thanks to all of you for listening to the Focus Group podcast. We'll be back next week with an episode you really don't want to miss. Bye-bye.